The passage for today will come out of 1 Samuel 31, and the word of God reads as follows. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he he fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, on the same day together. And when the men of Israel were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped him of his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened, they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Amen. Sin, I'm sure you have heard over and over again. I'm sure you've heard that sin is deceitful. deceitful. Let that, let that sink in your mind, weigh on your heart for a little bit. It's, it's cunning. It's intoxicating. And it's blinding at times. Sin is, is what causes you to forego reality and it plunges you into the depths of la-la land. That's right. I said La La Land. (laughs) Don't act like you don't know what La La Land is. (laughs) But we have all been in La La Land. Some of you probably are saying this morning, I'm in La La Land right now. Some of us are permanent residents of La La Land. I must admit that I have visited this place far too many times than I would like to admit La La Land is the territory where despite the writing on the wall, despite how clear the circumstances seem to be, no matter how wise the council is, you just don't get it. Everybody now understand where La La Land is? We can all testify to being there. Brothers and sisters, Saul did not Get it. 
And as I think about Saul's actions and, and the attitude that he, has, that he has since the kingdom was torn from him in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul somehow just keeps on thinking that, that the kingdom is his, that he has done nothing wrong. And you know what? This is one of the ways that sin deceives us. It causes us to live in la-la land. Often, often, particularly as it relates to the judgment of God. Coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 15, where the kingdom is taken from Saul, Saul was indeed under the judgment of God. But, But not only Saul... The people of Israel also find themselves under the judgment of God. Because you remember, Samuel was emphatically clear with Israel regarding the judgment that would befall them if they were to be disobedient, if they weren't to follow after the commands of God. You remember what Samuel tells them in chapter 12 in verse 14 and 15. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him, and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if, you, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. These are, the, these are the instructions. This is the warning that came to Saul and came to the people of God. Obey and things will go well. Disobey and the hand of the Lord will be against you. And it is almost as if this instruction went in one ear and out the other as it relates to Saul. Because shortly thereafter, we find Saul disobeying the commands of God. First making an, an unlawful sacrifice as he was set to go up against the Philistines. And then again, We see Saul disobeying the direct command of God to to, to devote to destruction all of the Amalekites just as the Lord had commanded him to do. But Saul, Saul disobeyed the command of God. And through the prophet Samuel, Saul is judged. He He is judged by the hand of God and is told that the Lord has rejected him and that the kingdom will no longer be his. But the judgment on Saul does not come right away. It doesn't come right away. Saul leaves that encounter with Samuel still reigning as king. He, he's, the, the judgment against him has not been carried out. And it is in my opinion, where this is where we see Saul journeying down into la-la land. He lives his life in such a way that seems to suggest that he thinks God is bluffing. He, he seeks to, to kill David on, on multiple multiple occasions because he fears that David is going to take his throne. He's scared of David. He berates his son, Jonathan, for showing loyalty to David. 
Saul kills a whole city of priests because they helped David. And then in chapter 8, 28 of 1 Samuel, Saul shows the depths of his depravity and he consults a medium. He consults a medium which was strictly forbidden in the Mosaic Law. Saul's actions, as we read through the second half of 1 Samuel, are reckless. He made the awful mistake of thinking that because his judgment was not carried out, didn't manifest itself right away, he made the mistake of thinking that the judgment wasn't coming. And so he lived compounding his sin. And in a sense, he lived with no conscience. The Puritan John Bunyan says this, and I think it describes Saul's actions to a T. He says, sin is the daring of God's justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeering of his patience, the slighting of his power, and the contempt of his love. This is Saul. You read that and you say, this is Saul. And after Saul consults with this medium, Samuel once again declares to Saul the judgment of God. And we read this in verse 17 of chapter 28. Saul, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of of the Philistines. The judgment came to Saul again. And brothers and sisters, this is why sin welcomes you into la-la land with open arms. Satan would have you to believe that judgment isn't coming. That it's not coming. That, that if you will, uh, will if you, it, it is, will have you believe that God will simply overlook your sin. That you can continue living the way you want to live. Oh, how deceitful sin is. It dupes us into thinking that we can put God to the test. And perhaps even worse, presume upon the grace of God. Saul lived his life with a disregard for God's judgment. He failed to realize what it says in Ecclesiastes 12 and 14, for God will bring every deed, every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Saul did not understand the judgment of God. And so, and so I want to look this morning at the judgment of God. There are some things that we, that we need to know about the judgment of God. We need to know that it's clear. We need to know that it is consistent. And we need to know that it is coming. First, it's clear. 
God was very clear with Israel and very clear with Saul. Do what he commands and it would go well. Disobey and the hand of God would be against them. It is not as though Saul had no idea what was coming. It's it's not like he didn't have an idea of what the judgment against him would be if he disobeyed. He shouldn't have been shocked. He shouldn't have been surprised. And so when Samuel pronounces the judgment on Saul uh, and in Israel in chapter 28, God tells them exactly why they are being judged. It's because you disobeyed me, Saul, when you went up against Amalek. And he tells them exactly what that judgment would be. They were going to fall at the hands of the Philistines. God is always clear. He's always clear when he pronounces judgment. This is the way he acts because his warnings are clear. They leave man without excuse. You read the blessings that are pronounced on Israel in Leviticus chapter 26. You read the blessings and you read the, if they would obey the blessings and the curses if they disobeyed. In Leviticus 26, it's the, it says the punishment for disobedience. In verse 14, he says, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Brothers and sisters, this is just a brief judgment that comes to the people of God for their disobedience. God is clear when he pronounces judgment. Not only is his judgment clear, it's consistent. And what I, and what I mean by consistent, when I say consistent, it means that God judges according to his character. According to his nature, God is truth and therefore he always deals in truth. His judgments are never wrong or unfair. Unfair. Look at Psalm 9, 7 and 9. He says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. He's consistent in how he judges. Saul gets exactly what he deserved. No more, no less. He disobeyed the commands of God and continued to live, continued to live as though he would not be judged for his actions. God's judgment is clear. It's consistent. Oh, but brothers and sisters, this is, this should be very, a, a, a clear reminder to us this morning. That it's coming. It's coming. Brothers and sisters, no matter how delayed the judgment, no matter how delayed the manifestation of the judgment of God is, the fact remains that it is coming. God does not bluff. 
He's not saying, I was just kidding. Our text reminds us of this this morning that as Saul goes against the Philistines, that is the judgment of the Lord upon him. Reminds us that those who continue to live as though they have no judge are in for a rude awakening. This is what, this is what Peter was trying to get across to the saints. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 2 through 7, He says this, that you should remember, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Scoffers are going to come and they're going to tell you something. And what are they going to tell you? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? They're going to mock He's not coming back. I know he pronounced judgment, but I don't see any judgment. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Do you remember the flood? God's judgment isn't coming. They went on living their lives the way they were, wanted to live, however they wanted to live it. And then the judgment came upon them. It's coming, brothers and sisters, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Brothers and sisters, judgment is coming. It may be delayed for a little time. And if it is delayed, you need to recognize that that is the grace and the mercy of God to you. That is what Second Peter, that's what Peter goes on to say. That he desires that, that God is patient, desiring that none should perish. This is his grace and his mercy to you. Oh, brothers and sisters, it may be delayed, but make no mistake about it. The writing on the wall is highlighted. The writing on the wall is in bold print. The the counsel that we receive from the word of God is trustworthy this morning. Judgment is coming. But here is the question. Are you in la-la land? Thank you. I hope not, buddy. (laughs) Amen. That's the answer that we're looking for. No. Because the writing on the wall is clear. (laughs) The counsel we receive from the word of God is trustworthy. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that you can say with with Preston that no, I'm not in la-la land this morning. Oh, that you would repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Bow your knee. Call out in mercy to the gracious God who desires to forgive you. Oh, 
if Saul would have only understood the judgment of God. But he failed to realize it. And God's, the manifestation of God's judgment comes to him at the beginning of our chapter, the end of, of 1 Samuel chapter 31. Saul and his men, they find themselves in a fierce battle with the Philistines. You remember, you remember that this is the same battle that David would have been fighting in had not the the commanders of the Philistines' army objected to him coming and fighting with them. This is the same battle that David would have been in. But instead, David and and the mighty men, at the same time Saul and his sons are fighting the Philistines, David and his men are routing the Amalekites and going back and winning back their, their wives and their children. You remember this. These battles are happening simultaneously. And it just reminds us of the providence and the sovereign hand of God as he is once again protecting David. It should remind us as we look at the text that the writer is not making a mistake here. He's not, he, he, he wants us to understand something. Oh, David is advancing and Saul is coming now down to his demise. David has a victory and Saul now has a defeat. The the battle with the Philistines is God's judgment on the nation. It's God's judgment on Saul, and that is clear from the outset of the chapter. The writer immediately tells us that in, we get a picture and get a sense that, that Saul is losing. That the, that, the, that the people of Israel are losing. That's what we get from the outset. They have been overtaken by the Philistine army and they have, they have the, 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 the Philistines have broken through Israel's front lines and they are now to, uh, to Saul and his sons. I can just imagine Jonathan and his brothers fighting valiantly to protect their disobeying and wicked father fighting him to the death. And they overtake Saul. They overtake him. This is God's judgment upon Saul and the people of Israel. And as we go through the text, we will observe four ways in which Saul and the people of Israel respond to the judgment of God. First, we see how Saul responds to God's judgment. Saul responds to God's judgment with despair. He responds with despair. As the Philistines press in on Saul, they, the, the text tells us that he is badly wounded by the archers, and, and he is well aware that he can't go anywhere. The Philistines are over the hill and they're coming against him. He recognizes that that, that his life is before him, that he is going to probably fall at the hands of the, the Philistines, that he is not going to make it off of Mount Gilboa. You read this and it's like you wanna, as you see, as you see Saul struggling there, It's like you want to jump into the text and scream out to Saul 
Saul, Saul, repent, Saul. Cry out for mercy, Saul. Plead the mercy of God, Saul. Hope in God, Saul. We hear nothing of that. Saul is desperate. And instead of calling out to God to have mercy on him, instead of putting his hope in God, begins to put his hope in himself. He starts analyzing his situation and figuring out a way, the way in which he's going to get out of this. And so he calls over his, his armor bearer who is there with him. And he, and he tells his armor bearer to, to take his sword and to thrust him through. He would, he would rather die at the hands of his armor bearer than at the hands of the uncircumcised Philistines. Saul is convinced, he is convinced even up to the end that he can do things according to the way he would like to, things to be done. He thinks he always, he always knows what's best. Perhaps for the first time, for the first time, I'm, 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 I'm almost certain of it, for the first time in his service to the king, his armor bearer denies his request. And the text doesn't tell us, the text doesn't tell us that it was because he honored God. But the text does tell us that he feared greatly. I can only imagine that, that this armor bearer sensed that there was a greater king. He had, he, he had honor for the office of the king and did not want to end his life. And Saul's armor bearer refused to carry out his requests. Saul's desperation turned to despair. Brothers and sisters, utter despair comes to a person when they have no hope. And when your hope is in yourself, do you understand that you have no hope? When your hope is in yourself, you, you, you have no hope. When desperation comes, brothers and sisters, it is hope that, that gives you a reason to press on. It is, it is hope that causes you to trust in the promises of God. Though they slay me, yet will I trust you. Saul had no hope. He had none of these promises to cling to. The only way Saul felt like he could end the situation, the only way he felt like he could get out of the situation was to take his own life by falling upon his sword. We shouldn't overlook Saul's despair and his desperation here because it's real. Despair and desperation is real. Brothers and sisters, David dealt with it. In Psalm 69 and verse 20, we read this. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. 
I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. It's real. Christians get low too. We should not understand and think that this is only akin to non-Christians, brothers and sisters. Despair and, and desperation come. But in times of desperation, the Christian must remember that we have hope. We we can cry out for mercy, though the judgment God dispenses to us here on earth because of our sin comes upon us. We should not give up for we have Christ. He is our hope. And we can turn to him. We can cry out to him. We have a father who is abounding in steadfast mercy and love. You know what it says in Psalm 69 later on? As David is lamenting, as he's lamenting over his despair, it says this in Psalm 69 and verse 29. But I am am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. He, he looks back to the salvation of the Lord and he allows that to, for, him to, to, for him to hope and to place his trust in. And then it goes on later in verse 33 to say, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Brothers and sisters, if you are in the prison of desperation and despair, If you are needy, you can cry out to God for mercy. For he is gracious and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Saul, you would think at this time, would would call out to him. Saul had no hope and his, his response to God's judgment is despair. But we also, but we also said that God's judgment came to the people of Israel, and they don't respond with despair, but they respond with desertion. The writer tells us that when that when the people of Israel, when the people of Israel saw that Saul and his sons were dead, they ran and abandoned their cities. They ran from them. They ran and the Philistines came and they took their cities. They lived in their homes. The Philistines took over. God's judgment upon Israel caused them to flee, revealing revealing where their true hope lied, revealing where their true hope rested. Why do the people of Israel flee? Because, Because their hope was in an earthly king who was now dead. Israel, didn't they always seem to be, didn't they always seem to be running and to be hiding and to be cowering? When, when Goliath came up against them, what are they doing? They're there cowering. It tells us also, the Bible tells us in chapter 12, that when the Philistines were, rose up an army against, against Israel, they hid in rocks and in caves and in cisterns. Why did they always find themselves running and fleeing? Because they forgot that it was God who said that he was for them, that he would be with them, that he would be the one that would fight for them. 
but their hope, their trust was in an earthly king. And because this king was now dead, so was their hope and their trust. And so they believe. There is an important truth for us to glean here. Do you know that God pronounces judgment on false teachers? Do you know that he pronounces judgment on false teachers? It's, it's, it's throughout all the scripture, but I think Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah makes it clear in, verse, in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. He says this, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. That's a judgment on these wicked shepherds. But he goes on later in Jeremiah to say this. Verse 11, chapter 23, verse 11 and 12. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like, a, like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. This is a judgment to the false prophets, the the priests of Israel, the leaders of Israel who seek to scatter God's sheep. False prophets, false teachers. This is judgment. That judgment often doesn't come right away. We don't see the immediate manifestation of it. But it comes because God's judgment always comes. Their sin is afflicted. They fall from their pedestals. It is a sad and tragic thing, brothers and sisters. But in our day, we do see pastors fall. We do see men and women, men and women found out. You know that it is in those times where we display where our true hope lies. It is there where our trust is exposed. If your pastor, if your spiritual leader, if your spiritual hero were to fall, do you desert the kingdom? Do you leave? Do we run? Or do we say that our hope is in the great shepherd who never fails? Oh, oh, I, I can weep and I can mourn that a pastor has fallen. Oh, but the great king has not. He's always on his throne. I don't leave the church because the pastor has fallen. I don't, I, don't, I don't leave the kingdom. I don't walk away from the faith because my pastor or my spiritual hero has fallen. My hope is not in an earthly man. It's not an earthly authority, but my hope is in Christ who is reigning on high and always reigns. They run. Saul and his sons are dead. Israel 
is on the run and the Philistines are living in their cities. The judgment of God has come upon the people and the, and the response from Saul and the people is both, is both disappointing and discouraging. Saul falls into the depths of despair. The, the people of God desert their, their cities. Discouraging. But... That's why it's such a wonderful word when you come to the scriptures. But there is a conjunction in this text. There is a conjunction in chapter 31. But what happens next? We learn that there is a proper response to the judgment of God. The text tells us that there were some men from Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead, that heard what had been done to Saul. You see, what had, been, what had happened to Saul is after he falls, at the, after he takes his own life, the, the Philistines come and they take his body and they dismember it. And they, they tell all of their territory, all of their people, they, make, they, 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 they send out messengers to let them know that the king of Israel has been slain. They hang his, his body in their pagan temple. The Bible says that there were some men from Jabesh Gilead. They're not just any men. The Bible calls them valiant men. Men full of courage, full of bravery, fearless, heroic, their response was to go to, into the territory of the Philistines and recover the remains of Saul and his sons and give them a proper burial. Perhaps before we discuss their response, it's important to understand why Jabesh Gilead is even significant. Are they significant? They are. They are. Back in chapter 11, do you recall, Back in chapter 11, the Ammonites were threatening to torture and to enslave Jabesh Gilead. They came and and bullied them. And, And Jabesh Gilead sent out a request to all of Israel for help. They cried out for mercy and their pleas fell on deaf ears until they got to Saul. And Saul rallies Israel, and they go down to protect Jabesh Gilead. And they defeat the Ammonites that come up against them. And the Bible says that it was a great salvation worked for them that day. Brothers and sisters, I am convinced that this, that that great salvation that happened on that day is the catalyst that led these valiant men to go and recover the remains of Saul. They respond to the judgment of God properly, first with honor and then with humility. Honor, the men of Jabesh Gilead had a respect for the office, the the office of the king that had been offended by, by the Philistines. But they also had a reverence for God because you see, what the Philistines were seeking to do by hanging up Saul and they were seeking to mock the kingdom of God. They were seeking to mock God himself. 
For they were saying that, that the God of Israel is dead, that our gods are better. See, we hang their, their kings in our temples. They were saying the God of Israel had been defeated. But these valiant men respond to the judgment of God, not with despair, not with desertion, but by honoring God and the office he had established. And they display courage, they display bravery, and they do what is right. They do the hard thing. They do the hard thing. They lay down their lie. They lay their lies down on the line for the sake of bringing honor and respect back to Israel. It is a reminder. It is a reminder of Phineas in, in Numbers 25 as the judgment of God is coming upon them and the people. And Phineas goes and he takes out the, 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 the Israel that would take the, 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 the pagan into his camp with him. And he kills both of them because they dishonored the Lord. And this is what it says in Numbers. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Phineas did the hard thing, brothers and sisters, and he was honored for it. Our response to God's judgment should be to do what is right, no matter how difficult it seems. That is how the valiant men of Jabesh responded. But not only that, they responded with humility. Look at what verse 13 says. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. They, they fasted seven days after recovering the body of Saul. You see, what happened at, at Mount Gilboa to Saul was an awful thing in the life of Israel. This was the judgment of God upon them. And the men of Jabesh Gilead, these valiant men, humble themselves by fasting. The proper response to God's judgment is always, is always to humble yourself. It's always to humble yourself. Yes, yes, they were mourning. They were mourning the death of Saul in their fasting. That's what fasting does. It, it's, a, it's, an, it's a sign of mourning, yes. But it's also a sign of humility. It was clear to them that the nation was in shambles. And it was in shambles because of their disobedience. And they thought the best response was to humble themselves. And so they fasted. They pleaded with the Lord for mercies. Mercy, because that's what you do. Joel 2, 12 and 13 says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord 
your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Oh, the the men of Jabesh Gilead fast because they understand that the judgment of God has come upon them and the nation. And they are pleading to him for mercy. They respond to God's judgment with honor and with humility, reminding us, reminding us that death is never the end of the story. Death is not the end. Oh, it would seem that that the writer here at 1 Samuel ends on on a horrible note. Saul is dead. The people of Israel have fled and their enemies have taken over their cities. But these valiant men of Jabesh Gilead remind us that should we repent, should we turn to God, should we cry out for mercy, death is never the end of the story. For in 1 Chronicles 10 and 13 and verse 14, it reads this. So Saul died for his breach of faith, recalling and recounting this text. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Oh, we read the death of Saul and we realize that this was according to God's plan. The death of Saul did not mean the death of Israel. In fact, Saul's death meant God was keeping his promise to put David on the throne. The promise that comes, the one who would ultimately, who would would defeat the Philistines and follow after the commands of God. This was according to the plan of God. Brothers and sisters, when when judgment comes, our, our only response should be to honor God, to do the hard thing, to humble ourselves before him and cry out for mercy. We will later see in chapter one of 2 Samuel, David and his men do just that. They they fast, they tear their, their clothes because they recognize the nation. The nation is in shambles and in need of mercy. Brothers and sisters, we are all in need of mercy. The judgment of God is coming. He has pronounced it. Well, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? God is coming with power and authority. All have, all have sinned, brothers and sisters, and the wages of sin is death. That's the judgment, death. Oh, but the promise and the mercy of God is that. He has laid up that judgment and that punishment upon Christ. 
He took our judgment. He took our death, the death that we deserve. We can simply cry out for mercy and receive the gracious, merciful, steadfast love of God. Oh, don't live in la-la land. Writing is clear. Trust Christ. Trust him now.